Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the growing humanitarian, political and military crisis in Yemen. Joining me on the line from the Gulf is our correspondent there, Simeon Kerr, and here in the studio, our former Middle East correspondent, Andrew England. Andrew, let's take a step back and look at the war, which obviously is the origins of this humanitarian crisis. How did it start and who's slugging it out? I think I'd just start, I mean, Yemen is the Arab world's poorest country and it's always been plagued by instability. It's had successionist movements in the south, the north and the south when it unified in 1990. Then in 2011, there were popular uprisings that spread across the Middle East, spread to Yemen. And eventually, President Saleh, who had been in power since 1978, did agree to step down in 2012. He was replaced by his deputy, President Hadi. And then in 2015, the war broke out. And essentially, what we've seen is an alliance between Houthis, which are aligned to Iran and have been restive in the north for a long time with Salah's forces fighting against Hadi's government. Then it took on a regional dimension when Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates formed a coalition to support Hadi's government, which they say is the legitimate government and is the internationally recognised government against the Houthis and the Salah Alliance, the rebel alliance. The war has basically been sort of bogged down now. The rebels, the Houthis, controlled the capital, Sanad. They forced the Hadi government out in 2015. It was forced into exile and now Aden, the southern port, is its headquarters. But no one's really making headway. Thousands of people have been killed. The Saudi Arabians have attracted a lot of criticism for their bombing campaigns, the high civilian death toll. They claim that it is an Iranian influence over the Houthis, creating a regional war on their doorstep. Then in the last week, we saw fractures between Mr. Salah's forces and the Houthis and fighting erupted in Sana. That seemed to be because uh, Salah had said that he was going to reach out to the Saudi coalition, abandoning the Houthis. And then on Monday, I think it was, he was killed in the fighting. So we've got a very messy, a very complex conflict, which has regional dimensions. You know, it reflects the tensions between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran, the Gulf states and Iran, the attempt by the Gulf states to push back against the influence of Iran and a, a country which is, you know, it's rugged, it's highlands, and it's been plagued by instability for a long time. Simeon, there's so many aspects to this, but the most horrifying, I guess, is the humanitarian crisis. How bad is it? Well, it's been getting worse and worse. You know, we're almost three years into the war now. And I think recently there was an extra blockade led by the Saudi coalition against Yemeni ports, which held up aid and medicine into the country. 10,000 people have died. There are many, many hungry children. And I think the current tensions are only making that worse. The Red Cross is warning that these man-made disasters are pushing the country much closer to famine. And they regard it as one of the world's worst humanitarian disasters at the moment. I mean, they say that something like 7 million people are in danger of starvation. Is that uh, really plausible? 
Yeah, I mean, these are the numbers they're coming out with because it depends where you are in Yemen. The northern regions, which are more populated, are under Houthi control. So the main port that feeds the north, Hodeida, is subject to long delays because the coalition is checking for arms and missiles. But that slows the progress of food. Fuel is a lot more expensive, so that makes it more difficult to run water desalination and to keep hospitals going. And all these factors pile on top of each other to create this humanitarian mess. The UN is lobbying Saudi Arabia to ease up the blockade in the north to start to try and solve some of these problems. I mean, cholera, since the summer, has been getting worse. It looks like that's peaked now, but that's illustrative of some of the humanitarian problems that come along with the war. And uh, Simeon, I mean, as Andrew says, it's it's in, in some respects part of a broader proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But the Saudis are not fighting a sophisticated state like Iran on the ground. They're fighting the Houthi rebels. It seems surprising that the war is stalemated given the incredible amounts of military equipment and technology that the Saudis have bought over the years. Why are they unable to win? Well, I mean, I think other nations, notably the Egyptians in the 60s, have discovered that Yemen is rather like, as the Russians and the Americans and the Brits uh, discovered in Afghanistan, is a very difficult terrain to control. They clearly have air superiority and have managed to use that against Houthi forces on the ground, causing a lot of civilian casualties, which has turned many in the world against the campaign. Along with their Emirati allies in the south, they found it quite easy to land ground forces led by Emirati special forces, but in cooperation with local tribes and have managed to take the south back relatively simply. But taking the capital Sana'a, which was the original plan. They want to restore what they regard as the legitimate government of Hadi. But to take Sana'a, you have to go up into the highlands. And for that, they would need to have tribal backing. Their great plan was this. It was to turn former President Saleh against the Houthis and to use the late president's genius in corralling the tribes to work with them against the Houthis, to tip the balance of the war against the Houthis, and to hope that that would bring them to the negotiating table. Now we don't really know which way we're going to go. There has been talk of the coalition launching a naval assault on Hodeida, the port where most of the aid comes in. That's got people very worried that that would destabilise the situation further and make the humanitarian situation even worse. There are other talks of the coalition trying other military strategies. But I think people regarded those with some scepticism, recognising that Yemen is this very difficult country to control and that bringing Saleh back on side was probably their best chance. But now, within days of them starting this strategy, it was over. Andrew, it looks like, therefore, we've got this military stalemate, as Simeon was describing, the main hope for a kind of diplomatic initiative just suffered a massive setback. So this could grind on and on and on. Yemen, in some ways, is the classic definition of a forgotten war. It's not much reported on in the West, other than occasional insights into the humanitarian disaster. Is the West likely to continue ignoring this? And can they afford to? Well, I think the West have clearly taken sides. I mean, they help arm the Saudis, they help arm the Emiratis. And the UK particularly has been criticised for its arms sales to the Saudis and the civilian deaths in Yemen. The US is also a massive arms sales. And in fact, Trump revelled in those weapon sales when he was there just recently. 
So, you know, you've got two key Western allies involved in this who've picked aside the Hadi government, and there's no sign that that's going to change. And I think President Trump himself has alluded to the fact that the Houthis are backed by Iran, and obviously he's been very outspoken about what he sees as Iran's assertiveness in the region and the spreading of extremism, and including Hezbollah, the Lebanese militant movement, accusing them of arming and helping train the Houthis. So I don't think we're going to see a shift in the Western backing of the Saudi coalition or any change towards the Houthis. The question is whether there's any pressure to get a political agreement. But political processes to date have failed. Neither side, either the coalition or the Houthis, seem to be in in a shape to compromise. And the thing about Salah, he had been the dominant figure in Yemen for 33 years. He had contacts with the tribes. The influence of the tribes in Yemen is very, very important. So you remove him from the picture, and who else is there who could bridge the gap between the two sides. So yes, the West should care because clearly there's a horrific humanitarian situation. And indeed a problem of a failed state, which we were told after Afghanistan, etc., was something we had to prevent because particularly in the Middle East, it's a breeding ground for Al-Qaeda, ISIS, etc. Well, absolutely. I mean, long before this war, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula has its roots in Yemen. They had a well-known bomb maker who created sophisticated methods to attempt to blow up you know, a US plane over the US in 2009. So it was already close to being a failed state, if you like. You know, It's got water shortages, got areas which are ungovernable, huge um, remote deserts in the south, as Simeon mentioned, the highlands in the north. So yes, it should be of crucial concern to to the West and to the Middle East. I mean, the key waterways run around Yemen's coastline. We've seen in the past that the Houthi rebels have fired missiles at Emirati ships, and I think there are huge strategic interests for that part of the region. But I don't see... The West hasn't shown, I don't think, a willingness to actually try and push for a political solution. We're seeing them backing the Saudi-led coalition, which some would say is exacerbating the situation. OK, so to conclude then, Simeon, given that rather bleak outlook... Where do you think this situation is going to be in a year's time? Is it just going to get worse and worse? Well, I'm afraid that seems to be the consensus at the moment, that unfortunately, once again, it will be Yemenis on the ground who probably will bear the brunt of the lack of political will outside. And the determination, it seems, from the Saudi and Emirati side to continue to try and finish off this war that was started three years ago, the Iranians in their support for the Houthis are finding a very effective way of damaging Arab Gulf interests in Yemen. And given the way these sides are all set up, it does seem to suggest that we will just continue in this vein. With the death of Ali Abdullah Saleh, there is a big shift. So there are some hopes that it could get better, but I think really that seems unlikely. And that therefore, we're just going to see a forgotten war just getting worse. Well, with that rather gloomy thought, we'll have to leave it there for this week. Thank you very much indeed to Simeon Kerr in the Gulf and to Andrew England here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.